Hello, my friends. This is Bishop Campbell welcoming you again to a short meditation on the theme of living the Catholic life. Some time ago, a, a young man who uh, was in my class when I was still teaching came up with, uh, to me and said, you know, there's an old Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. And uh, I, I always wondered if that really did come from Confucius. But his definition of interesting times was turmoil and the breakdown of structures and, and social uh, forms. And indeed, that would be a curse to live in those interesting times as things may be going through extraordinary changes. And my dear friends, we are sort of living in that, that kind of interesting time when words mean different things spoken by different people, by enduring a pandemic that practically closed down our society, there is now continuing economic disruption in spite of the fact that people are running about trying to blame it on each other when in fact we know exactly what causes the economic disruption. There's also a a kind of cultural disintegration where society's forms of interrelationship, of habit, of our thoughts, of what we claimed as something that defines us as a culture, perhaps have simply disappeared or been willfully suppressed or destroyed. There's political confusion and a rather alarming rise in lawlessness in many of our cities. And it is, by the definition of that old Chinese curse, an interesting time, but not an altogether pleasant one. And I think that as Christians, it is important for us to consider what response do we make living in a time of anxiety, in a time of confusion, not only a time of change, but a time of disintegration. What is the Christian response? We hear our Lord tell his disciples as uh, he was facing his own death and in face of their questions and doubts, he said, let your hearts not be troubled. Now, this is not meant to mean just forget about it. Nothing bad is happening. You don't have to worry. But the kind of response we make should not disturb the very core of our being. As disciples of Christ, as children of God, living in the knowledge that, in fact, in all things, Jesus Christ is the victor. Let your hearts not be troubled. We live with the enduring presence of the risen Lord. We, we hear the risen Lord speak to us in his word from Scripture. We know him present in the Eucharist. And we do not let our hearts be troubled, even though we live in troublesome times. 
And I think of how Juliana of Norwich ended the account of one of her visions of the power and love of God through Jesus Christ. And she said, even in the darkness may, that may surround us, in God's love and mercy, and in his intention for his sons and daughters made in his image, all will be well, all manner of things will be well, and therefore be at peace. Now, of course, this is not an invitation to simply sit back and do nothing or barricade ourselves in our little small shell. But realize that Christians, when they act in the world, act between humility and hope. Between humility, which is not a a kind of false, cringing, shrinking habit, but humility in the understanding that we can't do everything, but we can do something. We can do that apparently small thing that is right in front of me. But we also have to understand that ultimately, all things do depend upon God. And when we act, we act in dependence on his good and his direction and his truth and his love. But we do not despair, even in the most difficult of times. We are filled with hope because we believe that in all things, the love of God ultimately will triumph. So we must act, but we act with humility. We must endure, but we endure with hope. And again, as I say, it is not simply a call to sit tight and do nothing. And I want to suggest uh, a couple of ways that we in our own time and in these difficult and uh, troublesome uh, times might do to give a Christian response and to understand our path and our participation in the search for a solution and for a bit of that hope. First of all, I think it is important for Christians to live the truth and continue to speak it. I think this is especially important as we live through that extraordinary moment when, by some incredible leak, the thinking of some Supreme Court justices on the matter of Roe versus Wade, that decision that opened up the abortion industry throughout the United States, they're thinking that, in fact, it should be overturned. Now, this is something, actually, that devout Christians have prayed for, for decades. But in the public arena, Christians, and particularly Catholics, now have encountered shouting, hatred, violence, rather than rational argument. I think of what one very wise and elderly lawyer once told me. 
He said, when you have no witnesses, no evidence, start shouting and pound the table. And the very noise uh, would uh, really uh, silence the fact that those who support this abortion on demand actually have no foundation, rational, reasonable, or moral argument to make other than personal choice and a kind of egotistic sense of our responsibility in our society. But Christians who are called upon to live and speak the truth, to pray that it be uh, be triumphant, must also respond with charity and with peacefulness. Let your hearts not be troubled. Be concerned that you are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his word. But respond with charity, with patience, with fidelity and peacefulness. I think that at this Easter season, when we read generous portions from the Book of the Acts of the Apostles at our Sunday liturgies, it's interesting to note in those readings how, in fact, the uh, apostles, the early disciples, related to the civil authorities. And it's, it's an interesting and sometimes very delicate relationship. You may have noticed that Jesus standing before Pilate never really uh, spoke against the nature of Pilate's authority. When Pilate says, don't you realize I have the power to uh, let you go free or to execute you? Jesus says, no, uh, he doesn't say you don't have that power. What he says is, you would have no power unless it were given to you from above. And Peter and Paul admonished uh, the Christians of their time always to respect the civil authorities who, as St. Paul said, are instituted in order to punish the wrongdoing and to maintain the peace. These are hardly revolutionary statements. But at the same time, Jesus and the apostles taught that politics is not ultimate. Political and civil authority has its limits. It is not an end and be-all in itself. And that limit is established by the law and the power of God himself, who, after all, grants the authority in civil political uh, affairs to these individuals. And in fact, uh, you remember that when Uh, Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, and they were told specifically never again to mention the name of Jesus. Peter says, no, remember, it is better to obey God than men. And as they left the Sanhedrin, we are told they were rejoicing that they were able to suffer difficulty for the sake of the name. And think of the words of St. Thomas More, uh, 
before he died, he said, I die as the king's good servant, but God's first. And Christians are called to fulfill their duties as citizens. And in fact, it was always remarkable to Roman authorities that the Christians were sometimes the most law-abiding of their subjects, but in fact, never would accept the divinity of the emperor or the authenticity of the Roman gods. And there, uh, by so doing, the Christians were saying, we're not going to break the law, we're not going to create violence, but there are limits to your authority, and those limits we will not uh, offend. In the same way, we have a duty as citizens, but we have a duty as well to live the truth and to speak of it. Now we may very well uh, face what I think we could call a soft persecution. That is, we may not be rounded up at night, taken off to jail, uh, executed, but uh, that soft persecution of finding ourselves suddenly closed out from certain opportunities or not allowed uh, to speak or write in a particular way, to find ourselves ridiculed publicly or to be dealt with in a rather condescending and sometimes offensive way. And it's interesting to note that in the United States Constitution, there is an article, Article 6. Now, this is not an amendment. This is Article 6 that says that uh, there should be no religious tests for any public office. Now, we speak of uh, freedom of the practice of religion, which is part of the First Amendment. But in fact, that religious liberty is also rooted in the uh, words of the original Constitution. And I, I have to remember, uh, remind people that when, in fact, uh, there are individuals that are nominated for certain positions that require the uh, advice and consent of the Senate, how often do you find the senators questioning their religious faith. This happened in one instance uh, with the uh, the nomination of one who is now Supreme Court Justice. And the senator to ask, uh, who asked it had to be reminded that she had just violated the Constitution of the United States. But I think you're going to hear more and more of those those challenges. But, you know, facing this and speaking and living the truth, there is another element that I do not want to neglect. And that is the fact that Christians, more than at any other time in these difficult uh, situations, are called upon to do the charity of Christ in our own place and in our own situations. To help those who are in any difficulty caused by the problems in economics, uh, difficulties lingering after the pandemic, but also by giving witness to their faith. Assure others that, in fact, they are not alone. There is help that can be given to them. There is a truth that can be spoken and a truth that is life-giving. 
And in this, we bless God and ask his favor on us. As we live in his will and in his uh, power and authority, in our time and our place, to give praise to the name of Jesus Christ, to pray for peace, for justice, and for a continuing reality of the dignity of human life.